each week, which is absolutely fantastic. Well, we're up to week three of Love Mondays, and it's great to have you guys back, and hope you enjoyed last week's message. I know I did. Uh, Shane's talking about how to be the most valuable employee. That was absolutely fantastic. And so today, what I want to do is I want to talk about what happens when things change. What happens when things change? Now, I still remember my very first day on the job when I was a high school teacher. Uh, I, I, I remember, I can tell you exactly where it was in the school where I was walking. Uh, it was lunchtime, my very first lunchtime. I was on duty. It was my very first duty. And I was just absolutely so excited. Honestly, I just thought, this is exactly what God has put me on the planet for. I'm walking around, kids are saying, hi, Mr. Griffiths, hi, Mr. Griffiths. I had my own lab. It was the oldest lab in the school, but I had, the, I had my own lab, and I could kind of create my own space in there. Honestly, I remember just feeling so overwhelmed with gratitude that I had this, this incredible job, and, and that I was there to make a difference in kids' lives and, uh, and it was truly a magical moment. So now let me fast forward you a year and a half. <laughs> I've now got a different lab. I'm in the middle of a class, and I've got a particular kid who's got some real behavioral issues. And uh, I said something, and he didn't like it, apparently. And so he loudly informed the class that he wasn't going to put up with any more of this bleep, and he was going to leave. So he stood up. So I told him in no uncertain terms to sit down. He said, bleep you, and started to walk out. I said, turn around and walk back to your seat right now. He said, bleep you, and walked out the door, so I ran out after him. I said, you turn around, young man, and come right back to this class right now. He said, <laughs> sorry, this is when he started yelling. So he yelled at the top of his voice, I hate Mr. Griffiths, and he is a bleep bleep. Okay, now I'm not going to fill you in what they were, but you know, there's, you know how there's a, 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 there's a scale, right? Like there's a scale from bad words to very, very bad words, okay? We were talking, we're, right, we're way up here, okay? We're way up here. Now, so, and so, so I'm like, don't you say that, you come back here. So he said, no, and ran in the opposite direction. Now here's the interesting thing. We often think that schools are noisy places. But for any of you who have been a teacher, you will know that actually when classes are on, schools are very quiet places. Okay? So we're in a large school, a very quiet place. Now I have this boy who is running away from me going, I hate Mr. Griffiths. Mr. Griffiths is a bleep bleep. And I'm running after him going, shh, stop that. Be quiet. Come back here now. I think, we, I think we went running past, past the second block of classrooms with him yelling repeatedly, Mr. Griffiths is a bleep bleep, before I realized that every class we went by, there were children at the window watching him go past and then watching me go past. And I realized somewhere in there that maybe I should stop chasing him. So I did. I stopped chasing him, slunk back to my laboratory, trying to avoid, avoid the eyes of all of the children looking at the window who thought this was the funniest thing they had ever seen. And I remember distinctly on that day going, I don't know if I like this job anymore. Have you ever experienced that or something like that? You know when you started something and it was so good, but now you're a bit down the track and it is like so bad. 
when maybe it was the dream job at the start and now it's just a nightmare? When, we, when you started this particular job or role, you, you literally thought you were in heaven and now you are pretty sure that you are in hell. Like this happens to many of us. Many of us have these experiences and I want to dive into this today and, and talk about what happens. Like what goes on when we find ourselves in that situation. I know next week uh, Simon Greening is going to be uh, our preacher, uh, guest speaker. He's a lawyer. He's an incredibly articulate man. And he has got a powerful message that he's going to share to wrap up the series. Don't miss it next week. But I know he's going to take us to Genesis. So I thought I'd take us to Revelation this morning as we get into this. It's such an interesting book. Now we're going to pick this up. Uh, the Apostle John has been exiled to the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean. And we're told that God sends an angel to John with a message to the seven churches of Asia. Now, we're pretty sure that there were more than seven churches, but that these were key representative churches for the known world at that time. And uh, God gives clear instructions to John on what he is to do. And it's been suggested that these seven churches represent seven broad types of churches, that the issues that they face seven core kinds of issues that churches face and struggle with. If that's true, it's even more interesting what God begins with. But this is what I want to jump into, and we're going to look at the message that is to the uh, church of Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, you've got it in your notes today. This is the message that the angel of the Lord gave to John to pass on to this church. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven lampstands. And if you go back to the first chapter of Revelation, uh, when God speaks to him, God explains to him what this symbolic imagery means. But this is what God says to this church. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. And that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent... I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And when you read this, the lampstand speaks to the church. And he's saying, you know, you guys got to get this right or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this church away from you. Now, isn't it interesting that the very first thing that uh, God says to the Christians at Ephesus is, I know your work, you're working hard. I know your hard work, I see your hard work, uh, I see your perseverance. And God commends them for their hard work. It's good to realize, isn't it, that God sees your hard work. That God commends you for your hard work. That's what God does. Sometimes, you know what, we live as if, honestly, as if God switches off the whole time we're at work and God only switches on when we get to church. Sometimes we, we live as if God is really only interested in what we do that's Jesus-y, that's churchy. Which is kind of interesting, really, when you consider that almost the entire Bible has nothing to do with what we currently call church. It's the story of God active in people's lives 
and in their work. It's the story of the Spirit of God active in the lives of kings. Not when they go to church, but when they're leading their nation. Farmers, not when they're running small group, but when they are farming and, and being a blessing to their communities. Builders and soldiers and fishermen and homemakers and priests and doctors and goat herders and jewelers and people that are involved in shipping and in textiles and tent making. These are the things that the Bible talks about. And I want you to know that when God looks at you, what he sees is he sees the hard work that you do in all of your life. And he's deeply interested in that. And he commends us for hard work. In fact, the whole concept of laziness is contrary to God, contrary to the way the world works. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 18 says, Through laziness, the rafters sag because of idle hands, the house leaks. You know, things break down when people are lazy. God does not love laziness. God loves it when we work hard. He loves it when we throw ourselves at something that we are engaged in. Proverbs 10 verse 4, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. You know, in life, if we decide to be lazy, well, things will move towards poverty. I'm not saying that poverty in the world is caused by laziness. But what I'm saying is sometimes it is. God takes note of our hard work. God sees your hard work. He sees your perseverance. He sees what you do. In your workplace, when you turn up and you give your best, he sees that and he loves that. And he remembers that. Isn't that interesting? Hebrews 6 verse 10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your hard work and the love that you have shown him. I remember many years ago when I was an intern in church. It was a Sunday afternoon. Uh, I was running the kids' ministry at the time, and uh, I, I was the last one at church. Everyone had long, long gone home. Service had finished. Cafe had finished. All that had finished. Uh, my kids' teams had helped me clean up to a degree, and I look, I said, you guys go home. And, and I'm the last guy there, and I'm vacuuming. I look, if you're ever an intern in a church, there are two things you get really familiar with, how to make coffee and how to vacuum. And anyway, I got and I'm vacuuming, and honestly, I am angry, man. I am ticked off. Here I am alone again, vacuuming. When everyone else in church has gone home, just me, the intern left, vacuuming, sucking up rubbish off. I mean, honestly, I was in a great mood. Uh, yeah, man of faith and power, finished church, full of the Holy Ghost. And I'm just vacuuming. I'm, I'm in a grump. I'm vacuuming away. And, and, then I, and I'm kind of having this internal dialogue with God. Well, I thought it was a monologue until God chipped in. But, you know, so I was vacuuming going, you know, and the worst thing is no one even sees. No one even sees how faithful I am. No one even sees how hardworking I am. And it was just one of those little moments in my life where out of the blue, God just started speaking inside here. And God says, here's your problem. Who are you doing this for? Are you doing this for the audience or are you doing this for the audience of one who's always watching? I just, I stopped vacuuming. I, God, I'm so sorry. God, I'm sorry. No one ever needs to see me, God. As long as you see me, that's enough for me. And, I just, and everything changed in me that day. I learned to serve on that day. I learned to serve unseen on that day. I learned to do the things that have to be done when, whether anyone's there or not on that day. I learned to serve to impress my God, not my senior pastor on that day. Everything shifted when I realized that God saw me in my work. 
that was so important. You see, remember from week one we talked about how actually work is a gift from God? Ecclesiastes 3.13, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. That is, that is the gift of God. It's the gift of God for you to actually enjoy what you do. Not just enjoy the fruit of what you do. Not just to be focused on the results of what you do. And results are important and outcomes are important. But God is saying this. No, 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 no. You've got to enjoy actually when you're in the midst of it. You've got to enjoy what you are doing. That is where the satisfaction comes. In fact, Ecclesiastes is a fascinating book for this. When you go through Ecclesiastes, you've got Solomon, who's kind of, he's trying to wrap his head around this whole thing. And he, he comes about six or seven times, he comes to the point of going, yeah, no, that, that is the gift of God. It's to enjoy what I do. And then you read on a little bit more and he goes, but hang on, I, I, I've done all these things. And at the end of all this, I'm going to die. And I have no control over who gets this stuff. Like all this stuff I worked for, and he gets all frustrated and irritated. And you, and you go, oh, this is foolishness. This is meaningless. What am I doing this for? And then he comes around again and goes, ah, that's right. No, because it's actually in the work. It's the, whatever I do, if I do it with all my heart, that's where the gift of God is. It's to enjoy the toil of my hands and enjoy the life that God has given me. You see, in Revelations chapter 2, God says, hey, you guys, I see your hard work. It's really good. You're getting it done. You're not getting where you're persevering. But, but he has a concern. What's his concern? His concern is this, is that they have lost sight of their first love. They've lost sight of their primary motivation. They've lost sight of their why. Why does this matter? It's because God has created us to need purpose. The why is everything. Ameri uh, sorry, Austrian psychiatrist Viktor Frankl, uh, very famous man in terms of psychology and psychiatry. He was interned in Nazi death camps during World War II. He amazingly survived. Um, they did absolutely horrific experiments on him, uh, tortured him, horrific. But throughout his time in those camps when he saw so many people die, he noticed something interesting. He talks about in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, how when people had a why, when they could attach some kind of meaning to what was going on, whether, whether it was, I'm going to get through this because I'm going to be a better person, or I'm going to get through this so I can go and find my wife, or I'm going to get through this because I know my child is still alive. If there was a reason to keep going, he said those people survived. Often, when other people around were in so much better physical shape, but if they lost their why, those were the ones who would give up and who would succumb. You see, our why is so important if we are going to be a people who love Mondays. And let me tell you, I believe that every Christian on the planet should go to their workplace, whatever it is, and they should so love Mondays because they know God is with them that they revolutionize the workplace that they are in. That's what I believe. Look at this, Acts chapter 18. Paul, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. It's a fascinating historical thing that happened. All of the Jews were kicked out of Rome in this time. 
Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker, now we also know he was a Pharisee, that was his primary thing. Because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. And every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Paul made tents. I want you to get this. Why? Why did he make tents? I imagine making tents is a frustrating business. If it was me, I'd spend all day bleeding because I'd be sticking myself with needles the whole time. It just doesn't sound like fun. But why was he doing it? Simply because it provided an income that he could live on when he was in Corinth so that he could turn up every Sabbath and speak to the Jews and win some for Christ. That was his why. He wasn't made, and and this is important. See, if Paul ever forgot that, if he ever forgot why he was there, that it was all about winning Jews to Christ, if he was just making tents day in and day out, who knows, he would have got frustrated, he would have got discouraged, he would have gone, this is a terrible job, this is a poor career option for me, what am I doing, I should go back to being a Pharisee. And that's exactly what happens when we lose our why. What happens when we work hard but lose sight of the why? Just like Paul could have. We get frustrated, we get discouraged, and we don't love Mondays. What's the most effective way to love Mondays? Well, to work hard and and realize that it's a gift from God and to enjoy the toil, but more importantly, get back to what you did at first and remember your why. You know, in 2001, uh, an incredible book came out by a guy called Jim Collins. I'm sure some of you have read it called Good to Great. If you haven't read it, it's one of the quintessential business books of the last 30 years. You need to, and, and if you're a, more of a church person, uh, another guy called Tom Rayner wrote a book called Breakout Churches, which was modeled entirely on Jim Collins' research methods and came up with some absolutely fascinating results. But the point of it was that Jim saw all these incredible businesses that historically had always been good businesses. But somewhere along the line, they made the leap to be truly great businesses. And he studied them to find out what was it that enabled these businesses to make the transition, (coughs) to make the leap from good to great. And they were great companies, strong, well-led, incredible people on board, built strategically, sound financially. And that's what his whole book was all about. Then the 2007-2008 global financial crisis hit. And to everyone's shock and to Jim Collins' shock, many of these great companies disappeared and some of them almost overnight. Now he was shocked. He was stunned at this. And so he embarked on a research project with his team. And so they went and studied a whole bunch of these businesses to find out what happened. Was there a pattern? And he wrote a book at the end of it called How the Mighty Fall. And if you're in business, in fact, if you're in anything organizationally, you want to get that book. It's a small book. It is a powerful, life-changing, strategy-changing book, How the Mighty Fall by Jim Collins. I should be getting commission from this. But it's an intriguing and it's a helpful read. And it charts the the course of an organization that it takes from being a startup, something new, to being truly great, to then what he calls capitulating to irrelevancy or death. It's absolutely fascinating. Now, what struck me most was how Jim found out there are only a few places that it can be reversed. And the last point that it can be reversed is 
He writes, this is how you reverse a business that is now starting to go into decline. And, and, look, and it's exactly the same with churches. He says this. He says, how do you reverse the decline? <laughs> Listen to this. By getting back to the practices that made that company great in the first place. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you've forgotten your why. He's saying, turn around and do the things that you did at the start that made you great. Or as God says in Revelation 2 to the church of Ephesus, you have forsaken your love that you had at first. Repent, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. <laughs> Jim Collins thought it was his principle. It was God's principle that God gave to this church thousands of years ago. It is so important for each of us in our life to remember our why. Does anyone here ever watch TED Talks? TED Talks on YouTube or anything else? You've got a bunch of hands here. TED Talks, fantastic. It's a it's kind of crazy conference phenomenon that's spreading the globe, but they have amazing speakers. You want to check it out sometime. Simon Sinek is someone who, uh, he, one of his TED Talks is in the top 10 TED Talks of all times. And one of his ones he talks about is a powerful thing around the power of why. The power of why. He says there are three things that are foundational in anything that we do. Business, small group, dream team, whatever it is that we do. And these are the three things. They are firstly, what you do. Secondly, how you do it. And then thirdly, why you do it. And you've got to know those things. You've got to know what you do. Like, what is your business? What is it that you do? You've also got to know how you do it. How do you do it that makes you good at this? What are your unique things? And thirdly, you've got to know why you do it. Um, all, all of us, all churches, all businesses, organizations, we, we do these things. We know what we do. We do services, or we do small groups, or we make computers, or we flip burgers, or we build houses, or we sell cars. We all know what we do. A little more, more challenging is to know your how. How do you do it? What is the differentiator? Is it with excellent service, or is it with high quality, or, or unparalleled reliability, or is it with a money-back guarantee, or is it welcoming people like family and expecting breakthrough? What is it? The how is so important. But here's what Simon Sinek says. He says the challenge is, is that few people remember their why. What they believe that leads them to do what they do in a certain way. And then he goes on and he uses Apple, the company Apple, as an example. He says, if Apple was like everyone else, they would market their computers and products like this. They would say, we make great computers. They are beautifully designed, simple to use, and user-friendly, do you want to buy one? And we're like, nah, I don't know, maybe. I mean, it's not particularly compelling, is it? And, and, and many, many companies and organizations market themselves, like, many churches market themselves like that. Hey, we do, we do like a 10 o'clock service and a 2 p.m. Mandarin service. We have lots and lots of teams you can come and serve in. And uh, that's, that's what we do. And we get people saved and baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. Shukamahai. That's what we do. That's our what. How do we do it? We, we do it by we'll welcome you at the door and bring you in. You can have coffee and we'll do praise and worship and we'll preach a message. That, that's how we do it. But we never really tell people why. And then we say, hey, 
do you want to come to church? And they're like, eh, eh, I don't know, maybe, no, don't think so. This is actually how Apple communicate what they do. They say, in everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo. We believe in thinking differently. The way we challenge the status quo is we make things that are created beautifully designed. We make them simple to use, and we make them user-friendly. Oh, and by the way, we happen to make great computers. You want to buy one? And all of a sudden, it just feels different. And that is why, that is why for those of us here who are Apple users, that's why we'll buy their computers. We don't even, I don't even know how much RAM my computer's got. I don't know how, I don't know, I don't know how much uh, memory is on my phone. I don't know any of those things, but it, it kind of resonates with me because I like the whole thing of challenging the status quo and being creative. And I like that, and so I like that thing, and that's why I buy their phone, and that's why I have their iPad, and that is why I'll probably buy the next thing that they bring out, whatever that thing is. Interesting, isn't it? Because they know their why. They know their why. And this is an interesting thing. You see, there are plenty of companies out there who make great computers. There are plenty of companies out there who make great phones. There are plenty of companies out there who make very similar products to what Apple makes, and yet Apple outsells them 10 to 1. And this is the interesting thing. You see, no one communicates the why like Apple does. And this is the point today. People, uh, sorry, yeah, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. People don't follow what you do, they follow why you do it. And that is why it's so important for us to know our why. God says to this church, how you're doing is impressive. What you're doing is great. But you've forgotten your why, and the problem is, is that it's not going to be long until that changes your how and your what. So the first point today is this, love Mondays, know your why. You know, I, I thought, what is our why at Elam? What is my why? Why am I Elam? Why aren't I AOG or apostolic or, I don't know, Catholic or... Wesleyan or Baptist, why, why am I Elam? And so I just wrote a few things down. This is some of my whys when I ask the question, why Elam? Because we believe that we are all equally special. We don't believe some people are more special than others, especially pastors. I love that. It's because we believe in a horizontal hierarchy of responsibilities, not a vertical hierarchy of power. That's why I'm here. Because we believe in leadership, not rulership. Because we believe that leaders are servants. We don't believe that there are leaders and servants. It's because we believe that the key to good church is not our performance we believe the key to good church is his presence. Amen? So let me ask you this. What is your why? Why do you work for the company you work for? 
rather than for your competitor? <laughs> Some of you might be going, hey, that's a good question. I should be working for the other guy. But why? Why is it that you're working there? Why did you go there in the first place? What is it about it that you love? And if, you, if there's nothing there that you do love, if your why actually doesn't connect, then go find somewhere you can work that have a why you believe in. Why do you stay at home with the kids? Why are you back studying and working big hours instead of praying at Cruzy? Why are you volunteering in this department or in that job? Because if we are going to love Mondays, we must know our why. And then here's the second thought. Do what you did at the start. Let me ask you, when you first started your job, when you first got into it and you first loved it, you thought, this is great, I can't believe I get to do this. What is it that you did at the start that maybe you don't do anymore? And it can come down to something as simple as this, walking in the door on Monday morning deciding that I'm going to have a great day. I don't mean, you know, remember my first job, even when I was first a pastor, when I was first in retail, when I was first teaching, man, turning up for work on Monday, I was pumped. It was so exciting. I was a part of this thing. I believed in this thing. I couldn't believe we got to do it. It was just such a privilege. But how, we're all familiar with that feeling, you know, we get ourselves a, a day, a week, a month, a year, two years, ten years down track, and we don't want to go in. And when we do go in, instead of going with a great attitude, we go in with a terrible attitude. Oh, I'm here again. Oh, and he's here again. Oh, I hate that guy. I wish he'd get himself a new life. Yeah, and we, we go in like that. Sometimes things will change just by getting back to the attitude that you used to have when you started. Amen? Go, just go back to that place. Start with that again. Remember why you were here. Get some gratitude again. Let go of some of those unmet expectations. Whatever it is that's keeping you down, let's get back to that place and then we can love Mondays again. You see, we lose our passion when we forget why we are doing this. So let me ask you, why did you marry this girl? Or this guy. Because there was a great reason. There was a great reason. There was something beautiful and magical in this. Maybe we need to get back to the why in our marriages. Maybe we need to get back to the why in our jobs. Maybe we need to get back to the why in church. And maybe we need to get back to why in anything that we do that's in ministry or ministry related. Because at the end of the day, Loving what we do is a gift from God. And don't leave it unopened for one more day. Amen. Let me just close in prayer. Mighty God, we love you. We thank you, Lord God, for your word. Thank you, God, for that incredible word to the churches, Lord. God, for every one of us, God, let us make sure that we are remembering what we loved at the start. God, let us be men and women who will repent, God. Turn around, do the U-turn, and get back to what we were doing at the start that made it great for us and made us great at it. Father God, in our marriages, God, in our jobs, Lord God, in our ministry, in our small group, God, in this church, Lord, I pray that we will remember again our wise the things that made us come here in the first place. God, and for all of those things, Lord, I pray, God, you will give us your insight, your wisdom, and your revelation in Jesus' name. Let me just say very quickly as we come to a close, if you don't know Jesus, then I'm telling you, you're missing out on the most important why 
of all. Because there's a reason why you were made. There's a reason why you are on the planet. There's a reason why you made the way you are made with the personality that you have and the passions that you have and the giftings that you have. There's a reason and you will never know that why until you get connected with your Creator. Amen? You know, the incredible thing is this. God loves you, but we're all separated from God's love by our sin. The beautiful thing is that Jesus, He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And through Him, putting our faith and trust in Him, we can know Him. We can know God. Our sin can be taken away because of what Jesus did on the cross. And the Bible says that to all those who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. You don't become... Uh, you don't become part of God's family by being good, by having this degree, by living a good life. You become part of God's family by trusting what Jesus did for you, receiving Him into your heart as Lord and Savior. And if you're here this morning and you'd like to do that, this is your moment and you have so much to look forward to. Can we bow our heads and pray for a moment? I'd like to invite you today, if you don't know Jesus, just to invite Him into your heart right now. You can pray a prayer as simple as this. Why don't you pray along with me right now? Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. I acknowledge, God, that I am a sinner and I'm separated from knowing you. But today I put my trust in Jesus who came and died on a cross for my sin to take away everything and pay for everything I have done wrong that I might be reconnected to the God who created me and put me on this planet for a purpose. I receive you now, Jesus, into my heart and my life. Forgive my sins. God, make me new. Show me why you put me here. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. You know what? If you prayed that prayer this morning, you're going to find on your seat somewhere or a seat beside you an orange Connect card. For us, that's how we communicate. That's a key. Would you grab that Connect card? Would you put your details on there, whether you've been in this church for the very first time today or been here for a thousand years? Just write it down and just tick that box saying you accepted Christ today because we'd love to know. We'd just love to get some information in your hands helping you on this journey. It's a journey we all need help on. Would you do that? There's some, uh, there's some pens down the sides of the rows. If you could just look over the side of your aisle seat. If there's a box of pens, could you pick them up? Just pass them along the row as you go. We'd so appreciate that. Also because in just a moment we have our special offering for Bangladesh. Okay. Bangladesh, we planted a church in Bangladesh just, uh, just last year. We've got a long-term partnership with a, a, a young couple there who do a phenomenal children's ministry in this incredibly strong Muslim nation. They go around, they minister to thousands and thousands of children every year with the message of Jesus. And they came, came to us, hey, we want to plant a church, we want it to be an Elam church. We planted that church last year, it's up and running. We tried to go to Bangladesh earlier this year to visit them, and the government knocked us back, wouldn't let us go until we ran out of time. So we, I haven't been. But we are needing to raise money to finish this building and establish what God has begun for Elam and for His kingdom in Bangladesh. What we give today goes directly to seeing that work established in that nation. It is an awesome thing. Uh, on some seats near, you'll find you've got a giving envelope. If you want to be a part and you want to sow into that, 20 cents, $20, $200, $2,000, whatever it is, we would so appreciate you partnering with us in that incredible work in Bangladesh. I'm going to hand this back to Dan. That's what I'm going to do. Thank you. Let's get to our feet. Come on in. Look, why don't you fill in that Connect card as you go. If you want to uh, be baptized, if you want to be in a small group, join Dream Team. If you gave your life to Christ today, if there's anything else you want, grab that Connect card, fill it out, put it in the offering bag as it comes around. 
grab that one of those envelopes and if you want to give to this incredible work in Bangladesh that we've started then this is your moment as well as the bags go around as we sing our final song and worship Jesus you can give into that as we do it come on team let's worship God this morning hallelujah come together go to the info area and sign up for that um, you can do a, there's lots of amazing ideas you can do that so think about that we have a new life group course starting today upstairs at 12 o'clock so if you haven't done growth track sorry if you haven't done growth track um, then get up and do that next week we've got Simon Gearing um, so that's going to be an amazing uh, message to finish off our Love Monday series and visitors please do come and meet us um, in the visitors area we would love to meet with you have an amazing week